Amen. If you would stand with me today, if you have your Bibles, we'll be reading in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 6. Amen. 2 Samuel, chapter number 6. And the Bible says in verse 1, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bele of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and cornets, and on cymbals. And when they come to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. Verse number 8, And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah until this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him and to the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house Obed Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom and to the city of David with gladness. If I can, for just a little while this morning, I want to talk to you about the dwelling place of the Almighty. Lift your hands, pray with me. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. God, I pray, Lord, that you anoint your word as it goes forth. God, I pray, Lord, that you hide me behind the cross today. God, that you would give me the words that you would have me to say. I pray that you anoint the ears of the hearers today. God, that we could get a hold of this truth, that we could get a hold of your presence, that we could get a hold of this place today. God, that you would move in our hearts. God, that we not leave the way that we came. God, I pray, Lord, that you, you touch hearts and lives here today. God, may we be changed forever in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tell somebody you're going to help me preach this morning as you're seated. Hallelujah. Again, I say I'm excited for the message this morning. Very few times uh, I, I feel this excitement and expectation you know, a lot of times my nerves may get the best of me, but I'm truly excited today. And if somehow the Lord would help me, anoint me to say what's in my heart, if he would allow it to come out of my head, how it's in my heart, I believe that God's got something for us today. But I'm going to lay a little groundwork here for just a moment. Here in our text, we find that David 
is bringing or attempting to bring the ark of God into the city of David. Uh, just a little background for a moment. In 1 Samuel, you could read where the ark of God was stolen from the children of Israel in battle with the Philistines. The ark remained with the Philistines seven months. And uh, 1 Samuel 6 and 1 says it was with the Philistines seven months. Now in the Old Testament, the ark of God refers to the presence and majesty of it is It is the presence of God. That is where the Holy of Holies is, is, is the ark of God. That was the symbol of his presence that he gave, he gave to the children of Israel. The Philistines knew not how to handle the ark, and therefore many men died during those seven months. Everywhere they tried to move it, and the Bible declares that the hand of the Lord was against that city, and he brought great destruction. There were those that looked upon the ark without the covering, and they were right there. They were killed because they knew not how to handle the presence of the Lord. Finally, they realized the error of their ways, and they brought the ark back to the children of Israel. The ark was brought into the house of Abinadab, where it remained for 20 years. All the way from the first Samuel, all the way to our text here in Second Samuel chapter six, where God or David brings it or attempts to bring it into the city of Jerusalem. We pick up here, and we see David making his first attempt. He brings it out of the house of Abinadab, and we won't go into all the details this morning. But you got to know that there are special instructions on how to handle God's presence. There's special instructions that God lays out in that old covenant to Moses of how you're to handle the ark of God, how you're to handle it, how you're to carry it, how you're to cover it, and all these things. God lays everything out in very detailed instructions. One of those details is that you shall not touch the ark. You shall not touch it, touch it lest you die. Here we find Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, grab hold of the ark and attempt to steady it. He thought it was about to fall. He attempted to steady it, and God killed him right there. He's walking along the ark. He's leading it. His brother went on ahead. That ark, as they go into that threshing floor, it says that the oxen shook it. And, and, and Uzzah grabbed a hold of that ark and attempted to hold on to it. He attempted the flesh, attempted to help the presence of God. And God said, it, the Bible said he killed him right there. He killed him. He smote him. And a few things we must know about this passage of Scripture is God had ordered that no one was to touch that ark, the symbol of his presence and his majesty. Uzzah's action grew out of ignorance of God's word or perhaps an insufficient fear of the Lord. Maybe God saw the presumption and irreverence of Uzzah's heart, perhaps an affected to show before this great assembly how bold he could be with the ark, having been so long acquainted with it. The Bible says that the ark of God abode in, in, in Abinadab's house for 20 years. And here we have Uzzah, the son of Abinadab. He was well acquainted with the ark of God. It's been in his house for 20 years. Maybe he was too familiar with the things of God that he didn't reverence the things of God any longer. Familiarity, even with that which is most often, is apt to breed contempt. 
Maybe he was contempt with the ark. Maybe he was contempt with God's law and said, well, you know, I've been with it long enough. Surely it'll be okay. You know, it kind of sounds like Eve. Surely, Satan told her, surely you'll not die. You know, he said, surely I could just grab a hold of this thing and prevent it from falling off. Maybe my flesh can just prevent, can help God out a little bit, right? He grew, he grew contempt. He grew familiar with the things of God. Through this, God would teach them to rejoice with trembling and always treat holy things with reverence and holy fear. God would hereby teach us a good intention will not justify a bad action. It will not suffice to say that which is ill done, it was well meant. You know, a lot of times this old saying that I quote to the youth, to the young people, I quote and I may have quoted out here, but we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our best intentions. That is a fault of the church today, I believe, is that we look upon others and we're quick to judge others by what was said, what was done, how this was handled, but yet we judge ourselves by our best intentions. Why we, we don't think of their best intentions. We don't think of what they would have meant. We don't think of all the things that went through their mind before they made the decision or said that thing. All we think about is what we saw and how we saw it and how we perceived it. And therefore, we judge them against what that is. All the while, we judge ourselves. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't mean it that way. I intend for it to be taken that way. But how many times do we do that? But here in Uzzah's case, no matter what he meant, the Bible told him that God's law said, don't touch the ark. And he touched it. And God judged him right there. God judged him. He will let us know that he can and will secure his ark and needs not any man's help or sin to help him out with it. He doesn't need our sin to help him. He doesn't need our flesh to help him. God will take care of what's his. We go on to read that David was displeased and afraid. He found out in a moment that mishandling holy things of God would come with a great cost. We must realize that very same thing this morning. God will judge each one of us on how we handle holy things of God. The Bible says that David was afraid and would not continue to move the ark to Jerusalem. He says that in, in 1 Samuel 6 and 11... He says that he carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. 1 Samuel 6 and 11, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. This would preach just for a moment right there. The very thing that we set aside could be where your blessing comes from. The very thing that we push to the side, that we push off for another time, the very thing that we're afraid of, we have to be careful of the things that we dismiss, the things of God that you don't find important to you. Don't dismiss the call of ministry. Don't set aside the talent that God has given. Don't push aside the presence of God and say, I'll enter in at another time. The God of heaven is here today, and he's calling you out. He's saying, now, this very moment, you set it aside. You could be robbing yourself of something that you never could have imagined. Don't belittle the things of God. 
Don't belittle the little places of ministry, the little places of serving the body in any capacity that you can. Don't belittle the calling. Don't belittle what God has done in you. Don't belittle your testimony. Don't belittle. Don't dismiss His presence and don't set it aside for another time. David lodged the ark in a good house, the house of Obed-Edom, a Levite, which happened to be near the place where this disaster happened. And there it was, kindly entertained and welcomed, and continued there three months. In 2 Samuel 6 and 10 and 11, it talks about Obed-Edom knew what slaughter that the ark had made among the Philistines that imprisoned it, and the Bethshemites that looked into it. He saw Uzzah struck dead for touching it, and he perceived that David himself was afraid of meddling with it. Yet he cheerfully invites this in his own house and opens the doors to it without fear, knowing it was a savior of death unto death, only those who treated it ill. Obed-Edom had a decision to make. He saw what the ark of God did to Uzzah. He saw what it did to the Philistines. He saw how many people has died and mishandling this ark. He saw that the king himself was afraid of it, didn't know what to do with it, didn't want to bring it into his house. And yet Obed-Edom says, come. I will open up my house. You could bring the presence of God in here. You could bring the presence of God. I saw what it did to Uzzah across the street from the house. I saw what it done. I heard about what it did to the Philistines. I heard about all the destruction that the presence of God has caused. But I want to invite it into my house because I reverence it. I cherish it. I welcome it with open arms. The world will tell you that this life isn't worth it. The world will tell you that you can't have fun that being sold out to Christ is a thing of the past hell will sell you that lie and get involved and just if you get involved you'll just get hurt it's not worth the pain the heartache or the drama but I'm here to tell you today if you like Obed-Edom will welcome the presence into your house it'll change your life it'll change your life today Let me tell you, child of God, don't judge the Lord by actions of those who have mishandled the holy things of God. Will there be hurts? Yes. But the grace of God will carry you through. Each trial is a test. Each each trial and test God is using to grow and to shape you. To shape what He wants to make in you. The clay being formed may not look like much as a pile of lump clay sitting on the potter's wheel. But we have to trust the process. If Obed-Edom would have lived off of Uzzah's experience, he would have have never knew his name. You never read about Obed-Edom in your Bible. No sir, no ma'am. Because if he would have lived off of Uzzah's experience, he would have had no importance in the kingdom of God. You wouldn't even heard about him. He would have missed out on all the blessings of God. He would have never experienced it for himself. We must not allow the experience of others, the thoughts of others, and even the actions of others to deter our walk with God. Obed-Edom could have, just, could have said just as David did, How shall the ark of the Lord come unto me? But he chose to rise above and allow the presence of God to have a place in his house. One commentator says, The death of Uzzah, And the blessing on the house of Obed-Edom illustrate the severity and the goodness of God. 
Not one jot or tittle of the law can fail. Therefore, lest violation must bring suffering on the part of those who offend. While reverence, obedience, and faith secure an immediate response of the divine favor and love, God can and will take care of His own. He will. If we put what's His in its rightful place, if we honor it, we cherish it, we reverence it, we respect it, God will lead us. And what brought destruction to some will bring joy, will bring peace, will bring blessing to us. You may be thinking, what does this story of the Old Covenant have to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17, it says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, and the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. John 14, 16, and 17 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So in case you missed it, the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence was represented, it's now you. It's now I. It's the born-again born believers. It's the church of Christ. The church of God. It's the bride of Christ. You and I are the, are the temple where the, holy, where the holy of holies dwell. You and I now, and we, we, we inhabit the presence of God in us today. If we're born-again believers, we have to come to that understanding and realization that God does not dwell in brick and mortar, but in you and I today. Acts 17 and 24, God had made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelling not in temples made with hands. He dwells in his church. He said, it's expedient that I go away for I'll send you another comforter. So you know, Christ, we say it all the time, Christ could be in one place at one time on earth, but when he departed and he sent the Holy Ghost, now he's in his body of believers. He's in you and I. He's in every believer. You and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But today, like Obed-Edom, will we allow him in to a place in our hearts? Will we allow him to come and to take residence? Will we open up our arms with joy? Will we welcomely receive him with gladness today? I've been taught that the eth words of the Bible, believeth, dwelleth, forgiveth, or, or I'm sorry, forgiveth, healeth, dwelleth. When the subject is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, when that is the subject of the sentence and that word is in there, that that leads us to believe that that's a character of God. And when he said that the Spirit of God dwelleth in us, that means that that's his character. No matter what I do, no matter what I am, God dwells in me. Now, I'm not talking about willful sin. I'm not talking about murder or, or adultery or fornication or anything. Like that. I'm talking about the things that so easily beset us, the things that happen in our daily life. You let something slip, that anger, that temper, or whatever it may be, or you, or you don't treat someone just right, and, and God convicts you. God still dwells in us. He's not ready to cast us out and cast us down. God still dwells in this body of the temple, right? 
and we can come to Him and repent, and He can grow us and help us. But God dwells in us. He's not just going to run and flee just at the, at the sound of, you know, the drop of a hat. No, He said He dwells in us. That's His character. He dwells in me. And if I'll come to that realization today that I bring a measure of Christ to this church, I don't have to come here to find Him. I bring Him with me. And if we can all get a hold of that today, God can change the world. He can change Beaumont. And he can change you and I today. It's his character. That's what he longs to do. That's what we were created for. We're created to to house the presence of God. The spirit of God. The Bible says that he gave his his measure without measure to his son. But to you and I he gives a measure of that Holy Ghost. Christ had it without measure. But you and I have a measure. So what that tells me is it takes all of us coming together as a body of believers to get part of the, you know, to get closer to the fullness of Christ. It takes us together. It takes the measure that I have, the measure that, that Brother Steve has, Sister Sandy, Sister Amy, Sister Kelly, you know, Brother Keith. It takes the, all these measures coming together that God can come and meet with us in this place. That God could come and, and, and we can feel his presence and we can experience him in a greater way. We can help each other along. We need that greater measure in each of us. We, like Obed-Edom, have to make room for the things of God. We, like, we will, like David, set the things, will we, or will we, like David, set the things aside for another time? Listen to me, parents, adults, teenagers. We have to know that God expresses himself to a lost and dying world through you and I. He's looking for a vessel, and it's your decision to make. Will you allow him to dwell in your temple, in your heart, in your life? Will you allow him place today, or will you, like David, set it aside for a time? God dwells in this body. God dwells in you. If you'll open yourself up, if you'll allow God to dwell, you may find blessings as Obed-Edom did. It said he blessed his house. It blessed his house. There's Bible commentators and scholars that believe that Obed-Edom was poor. Obed-Edom didn't have much means. There wasn't much to him. But the Bible says that when he housed the ark of God, he, God blessed him. God prospered him. God God brought growth to his family he brought wealth to his family I'm not here saying you're going to get rich but what I am here saying is that God will bless you God will keep you God will touch your family he will keep your children he will keep your grandchildren he will preserve your seed why because if you allow place for God in your life today he will not let you return void he will not leave you empty handed But if we set it aside, we don't know what blessings we're robbing God of. We don't know what we're robbing ourselves of. If we set those things of God aside, we don't, you know, and then we wonder why our kids are lost, why our grandchildren are lost. And I'm not saying that that you raise them up in church, they they won't be, they they can't drift away. That's not what I'm saying. But but I'm just saying, what are we, what are we allowing the measure of God in our home, in our hearts? Or, Or do we treat them like, Do we treat them like the Old Testament covenant where we lock them up and we go visit them at a time? We go to the temple and we worship. We come into the presence of God. Or do we realize that we we have the presence of God in our heart? 
that he dwells in us, that we house the temple of God. If you treat them like we just leave them here and lock them up on 11th Street every day, every Sunday and every Wednesday, and we come back to see them next week, then, then you don't wonder why your house is in shambles. We have to bring them, we have to come to the realization that he dwells in us. He dwells in us. He dwells in this body. And, and if we realize that he dwells in every believer, then it'll change how we treat other believers. It'll change how we treat each other, how we handle the body of Christ. If I realize that the Christ that heals me, the Christ that saved me, dwells in you, I'm going to treat you a little different. I'm going to act a little different. I'm going to handle you a little different. Why? Because the God of the universe lives in you and he lives in me. Brother Jeremy's coming in a couple of weeks. One thing he used to say, and I as a 16-year-old kid on a pew, just hang on to every word. But one of my favorite things, he said, the God that hung the stars in the sky, like you and I hang ornaments on a Christmas tree, he dwells in you and I tonight. If we could get a hold of that truth, there's no telling what God can do with us. If we would realize that he dwells in each other, there'd be a lot less drama, a lot less quarrels, a lot less this and that, just this nonsense. If we realize that, that Christ dwells in every born-again believer, it don't matter what church you go to, it don't matter where you're at, where you live. If, Christ, if you're born-again, Christ dwells in you, and I should treat you just a little bit different. huh? I'm not saying you treat the world like garbage and you treat Christians good. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying if I realize in my mind that the God of all the universe lives in a person, I'm going to handle them with, with love and respect and, and, and reverence, right? because God lives there God lives there musicians, singers, if you would come 1 Chronicles 26 and 8 and it says all the sons of Obed-Edom they and their sons and their brethren are able men for strength for the service there were three score and two of Obed-Edom and I'm not a Bible scholar and not well versed but I did read in a commentary that that three score and two is that there were 62 in the house of Obed-Edom. And it said they were men for strength and service. Some people believe that Obed-Edom was poor and God blessed, but God blessed and prospered him. Obed-Edom gave place to God in his house, so God had a place for them in his said they were given for service. Another verse says they were mighty men of valor. God used the seed of Obed-Edom. You never know what God will do when we allow him his rightful place in our life. <clears throat> Second Samuel 6 and 12 says, And when it was told King David, saying the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Just a couple of verses before, he was afraid. He didn't know what to do. He had mishandled the things of God. It had cost him a great deal. But in verse 12, after he had heard the blessing of Obed-Edom, he tried it again. 
He heard all that God had did for him and his house. And it was because of the ark of God. And David went again to bring the ark to Jerusalem. This time he followed the instructions of God. He had followed every detail to a T that was laid out in the word of God. And it says he brought the ark into the city gladness. What a time he was scared of, he's now rejoicing over. When he followed the pattern that God had laid out, God brought joy and gladness. And he blessed the city of David because of the ark. You're here this morning and you say, I don't know God. I've never been born again. I want him to dwell in me. These altars are open. God could come into your heart today, can save you, can fill you. And his word will be fulfilled this morning. If you repent, come to God with a pure heart. And the word will be fulfilled that he will dwell in you. But if you're like what I believe many of those are in this house this morning and you don't realize the severity of the fact that God dwells in you and I and that we house the presence of God here on this earth and you want to ask God to help you to show you that realization. You know, if we realize that God dwells in us, that scripture that says come boldly before the throne of grace It brings a whole new life. Why? Because I have Christ in me. I don't have to come and find Him somewhere. I don't have to come to this building to find God. No, God lives in me so I can come boldly before that throne of grace. I can come because I have a measure of Him. I don't have to find Him. I don't have to wait for Him to travel through the universe to get to where I'm at. No, He lives in me. And if you're here this morning, you say, I want God to make that real in my heart. I want God to help me to realize that, to show me where I'm at at in Him. I want to make more room for Him. I want to receive Him with joy and gladness. I want to welcome Him in open arms as Obed-Edom. I've set Him aside for a time. I've been like David. I've set Him aside in somebody else's house. I've watched the joy in others. I've watched the joy and and the gladness in other families. I've watched it from a distance, and I've come to day like David and I want him back in my house I want to bring him back I was scared of it before I didn't understand it I didn't know it before but I'm ready today I saw what he done for Obed-Edom and I want him to do it for me I want him to do it for my kids for my family I want there to be a place in God's house for my family these altars are open to you this morning invite you this morning to come find a place to pray. God's here today. This is a word for somebody. He's faithful to hear you.